Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the European VC Podcast. I am Andreas, and I am here today with Stefan Pauls. Stefan is the founding partner of 7GC, a 400 million euro growth venture fund in the U.S. to back emerging U.S. tech companies with their expansion to Europe. In addition, Stefan is also the founder of Moonfair, the world's largest digital platform for direct private equity investments. Not a small fee. 7GC is investing out of Fund 2 with a total 400 million euro AUM and an established portfolio of 15 companies and notable investments, including Jackpot, Geo, Hims and Hers, and Stefan focuses on SaaS, FinTech, and AI. Now, if you enjoyed this episode or are on the fundraising trail, make sure to march 16th to 18th of April as the days where you will be in Amsterdam for those zero 100 conferences where you aside from meeting tons of LPs can also meet Stefan as he's one of the conference's big speakers. I have enjoyed getting to know Stefan incredibly much and I hope you will have the chance to do the same at the Amsterdam conference with the zero 100 team. Now, if you enjoy this show, do drop us a review, follow the pod, and subscribe at eu.vc. Tear down this wall. It's more than just an alliance. This, this is a union of values, values. United and determined, we can serve as a model for other regions of the world. The nature of a problem, problem requires a European response. Europe is a story of new beginnings, new, new beginnings. Let's start acting, 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 acting. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Zero 100 Conferences, which organizes networking events connecting LPs and GPs in private equity and venture capital firms across Europe. Their upcoming event is Zero 100 Conference Europe from April the 16th to the 18th at Leonardo Royal Hotel Amsterdam. This is a pan-European opportunity to network with major LPs and GPs from firms like Bain Capital, Permira, EQT, 500 Global, Alvin, ESAS Holding, the Carlisle Group, Adam Street Partners, Aegon Asset Management, and Odo BHF. Save the date. April the 16th to the 18th at Leonardo Royal Hotel Amsterdam. This show is not investment advice, and the hosts of this episode may be invested in the funds and companies featured. So, Stefan, I think I got I got to say AR there, which is obviously AI, because <laughs> augmented reality maybe would not warrant a full investment focus right now. Uh, but let's see as things as things evolve. Um, Stefan, before we get everything started, let's just ask you to share your story with us. Look with pleasure, Andreas, and uh, let me say first of all, thanks so much for for having me. It's a real honor to be part of your podcast today. Look, my journey into ventures really goes back to uh, my time when I started at KKR. KKR is more known as one of the pioneers in, in private equity, one of the largest buyout firms out there. But you know, back um, early in 2000 and the years to follow, uh, we as a firm at KKR thought more and more about uh, entering you know, um, the technology side of things. I became a member of uh, the media and tech group um, early on when I joined in 2004 and really became a bit of a digital spearheading force within the firm, uh, making sure that we really think holistically about tech. And, and this was really what brought me at the end uh, into venture. I left KKR then uh, in 2015 and I wanted to come up with something really 
innovative and founded 7GC, which is a venture firm, a growth fund that is basically, you know, differentiated because it's helping and supporting U.S. portfolio company with their expansion to Europe. And tell me if you could just add into this story, how did you come to found uh, Moonfair? Because that's, of course, a, a very big player in Europe. Oh, wow. That's, uh, that's uh, interestingly, uh, Andreas, that happened simultaneously. Uh, when I came up, um, you know, when I left KKR, first of all, I must say, I wanted not to do something, you know, more of the same. I wanted to do something, uh, call it out of the ordinary, something innovative, ideally something that hasn't been out there uh, before we started. And this is exactly Moonfair. Why Moonfair and how did I come up with it? Uh, you know, as a senior executive at KKR, you have the opportunity to invest, and you are, by the way, expected to invest into the KKR funds, into the private equity funds. So put your own money where your mouth is. And I've been doing so very uh, you know, rigorously since 2004 when I joined until I left the firm. And when I you know, had my goodbye meeting with Johannes Huth, uh, the guy, a great partner, by the way, of mine and a friend who is running Europe, I asked him, Johannes, can I put another 100,000 into the next KKR fund? And he told me, look, that's not possible. Uh, you're not any more part of the family. 10 million is the minimum. I first thought he was joking with me. You know, I have four children at the front of time. I just bought a house. 10 million, absolutely not my pocket size. But he said 10 million. So I, I left KKR and I was sitting literally in a Starbucks coffee shop and was thinking, look, there must be more people out there but you who want to invest into private equity. And I was calling up my friends, you know, former people from Goldman, um, BCG, Bain, um, McKinsey, everyone from whom I expected could put together some money. And um, this was really the idea um, behind Moonfair to build this community that as a group would be able to, to invest um, and to reach the 10 million. And, and this is what Moonfair became very rapidly now largest digital platform over 3 billion in assets under management. And we are active in the meantime, globally in 22 countries. And I think anyone in the audience will now say, ah, okay. So Andres has been looking forward to this conversation and you bet I have, because of course, this is very close to our heart. And, and as I said to you in the, in the beginning stuff, when we started doing what we're doing with our syndicates into, 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 uh, into funds here in Europe, Everyone was like, "Ah, oh, you're going to be Moonfair for 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 uh, European venture," and we we're like, "No, no, no, that's not the play here." But we can get more into that later in our conversation. Uh, but obviously, this is this is uh, going to be a hugely interesting uh, conversation for me, Stefan. Before we go further, let me just ask you to also give us a pivotal moment. And we'll, of course, to everyone thinking that we should continue this conversation, we're going to talk much, much more about Moonfair and the whole vision and growing it and so on. So, so this is a really big episode on democratizing venture and private equity. But now, Stefan, give me your pivotal moment. Look, there are many uh, moments. That's, that's, I guess, a consequence of age. But there is really one moment, uh, you know, that I want to highlight. And it goes back uh, to the year, it was January 2007, um, Andreas, you know, when, when I was living in, in London in these days um, um, with KKR, as I said, and the iPhone were, uh, got introduced by Apple. And I really remember the moment, you know, there were the famous advertising, uh, you know, this black and white um, uh, shadow uh, stuff from, from Apple on every bus uh, running around. And 
I, you know, being very much into tech and, and, you know, I studied physics among others, I really understood very quickly that this device would have the potential to change the world. Everyone soon talked about it. It was talk at dinner parties, at cocktails, you know, and I thought about uh, putting some money to work. Um, it was 2007. Uh, I waited a bit, you know, until uh, the, the iPhone hit the market. Um, it was end of uh, 07 in, in the UK, you know, and, and I didn't invest. And I tell you why. The share price, and this is uh, probably stunning, um, always when I tell the story, the share price in these days, 07, was at 30 cents, um, you know, per, per, per stock. Um, and the share price tripled in 2007. And I thought, oh, my God, the train has, uh, you know, left the station, left the opportunity. It's too late. Uh, you, you, you were sleeping, Stefan. I was shouting to myself and said, uh, finally decided not to invest. Look fast forward, everyone. Best decision ever. Yeah. <laughs> what I want to tell you, yeah, today's share price of uh, Apple is 175 euros. So it was still 175 times more money. If I had invested 50k, you know, it would be close to 10 million. So what is the what is the gist of it? What what is what? Why do what? What kind of point do I want to make? It is investing is about a, you know, when when you see a mega trend. And you believe, you know, it has already left the, 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 um, the station. It's in many, many cases not true. Uh, things take much longer than, than people believe. And even, you know, stock markets don't adapt to new realities in uh, the, in the pace they should. That's one thing and which is associated to it is equally important as an investor. You have to be patient. And if you are not patient, if you're an impatient person, don't become an investor. Before we then go into the whole moon fair story, which will be the, the main part of our conversation today, I would love to just stay with 7GC and, and particularly because you now set the iPhone moment in, 20, in 27 and everyone is kind of likening the AI moment now. And of course, you're also heading up AI at, at uh, 7GC. So my question to you is, do you, do you see the similar dynamic now? Do you think that we are in the same place as we were in 2007 with the iPhone? Platform shift would, and everything? I would say it is even, even more than this. Um, you know, Bill Gates here at the Munich Security Conference uh, last year or so, uh, just after the release of uh, OpenAI, ChatGPT, um, said uh, that he considers the AI revolution to be even more meaningful and larger than the entire internet revolution. Uh, you know, Andreas, what I, what, what, why, why am I convinced that this is happening? And why do I think we have an incredible era in terms of change ahead of us? And this is probably the iPhone moment, as you said, uh, you know, in 2007 and, and even more. What, what AI is not a new theme. Yeah. I, 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 I even learned about AI when I was at university and this is 30 years ago. Um, what has changed, and this is the moment that people have to understand, what has changed is that um, through the partnership between OpenAI and Microsoft, which became a deep partnership um, uh, of 10 billion uh, you know, investment from the side of Microsoft, what has changed is that um, suddenly, and that is the first time ever in Google's history, um, Google got the um, uh, red alert. So uh, the red alert means uh, you know, our business model is fundamentally threatened. And what's now happening is a race amongst the largest and most wealthiest, um, uh, from a financial standpoint, um, companies in the world 
uh, around AI. So for the entire chat GPT thing that happened December 6th, uh, two years, one and a half years ago, was just a wake-up call for a gigantic industry to wake up and to fight against each other with all means. And now we are seeing tons of uh, resources, money floating into the system, not only from the from the big six um, 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 companies, from the largest tech companies, but also from the entire venture and growth equity system, including private equity. So it's a, in a way, <clears throat> your, your answer, the answer to what you've said is, a, for me, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, it's happening because people want it to happen and so much money is floating into the market because of this disruption that was only an initial disruption that happened uh, through uh, ChatGPT. Now, you being a growth stage investor, I, we, of course, most often talk to early stage investors, but being at the growth stage level, I imagine you very, very much see the competition between corporates and private equity and, and venture, which in AI has really, you know, taken a step change. Normally, you don't see corporates leaning in as heavily as, as they do here, definitely impacting prices of everything. I'd love to ask you, how are you seeing the competition in the AI space on the deal-making side differ from what you normally see? Yeah, look, we are we are seeing this already. Um, interestingly, you know that uh, the the large uh, corporates and large tech companies are forging alliances. Uh, you know, um, as everyone knows, Microsoft is close to um, uh, OpenAI, um, but you know, um, uh, Meta is is um, pursuing their own approach. Amazon is is partnering with another competitor of OpenAI. So there are couples emerging. Uh, what does it mean? It means that you know this, the um, the alliances, the the forging of of partnerships is happening earlier, uh, very early on, in, in 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 so to say in the lifetime of of this phenomenon. And why is it? It is because um, uh, AI you know in, in demands so incredibly high um, investments that you have to develop a deep partnership. You can't play around uh, with five, ten, twenty companies because the investments behind meaningful AI developments are so high. Um, and this is why, why these partnerships are happening earlier. So that means in terms to your question that the competition space is, is more limited. People act earlier, take companies earlier captive, as happened with Microsoft and OpenAI, and, uh, um, and, and others are following the same pattern. Um, so there is, there is less of an obvious competition. What's happening now is underneath the super surface, as I call it, what we all are observing, there are, of course, um, dozens of companies emerging, smaller companies. But you know, Andreas, my view is at the end, AI will and have to be, in my view, a regulated industry. And um, I would assume that the, um, you know, as AI is playing in the US and China, as we all know, but talking about the US, I would assume that the large corporates and in particular, the large tech companies will basically, you know, cut yeah, regulatory deals, which makes sense, will make sense. So I'm not negative about a deal with the government um, because the, it, it, the, the industry cries for regulation. So at the end, and probably it's conventional wisdom, but what I'm uh, quoting here or what I'm saying is I'm a big believer that the top six will be the most you know, beneficiaries of, of the entire AI um, revolution because of their size, 
because being close uh, to Washington and, and because of their dominance in the market. Uh, I don't think that there will be a new Google AI or a new Facebook or Meta AI uh, emerging, which is not known or not at all uh, on the horizon um, as of today. They will be absorbed in the existing ecosystem. That's my thesis. What do you think about it? So, so that means for you, the platform play slash foundational model play, that ship has sailed in terms of we're not going to see a new one come up tomorrow, which will meaningfully impact. That means that we know the names that are there now. And it's not, it's not, this ship has not sailed in terms of being able to still join them, but definitely as an early stage investor, not where you're seeing that, that there will be much coming up. Look, as an early stage, of course, but those companies, there might be, you know, a billion plus company emerging, maybe. Yeah, meaning it won't be the foundational models. It exactly. won't be the, yeah. It yeah. will be absorbed. Those companies will be bought uh, by, by the Googles and by, by the Microsofts of this world. That's my theory. And this is why, by the way, I'm playing those uh, stocks. And if you see what's happening with these stocks currently in the market, including NVIDIA, it is exactly the market is betting on the same thing, what I've just said. Yeah. Uh, and that, of course, has incredible ramifications for any investors that would be doing early stage investments today. You mentioned regulation. I'd love to ask you your perspectives on the... AI Act in Europe. Do you think that we're out too early? It's one thing be, you know, doing what we've done with GDPR. That was a very well-known space. It's problems we've had for a very long time. Anyone could see that doing something there would probably make sense. Same thing with climate. Uh, I just spoke to a Michael from Regeneration VC the, the other day explicitly about that point, right? That, well, climate, we kind of know how to regulate, so that should be doable. But there's definitely a big question mark when it comes to regulating anything in AI at, at this time. What, what is your take, Stefan? Yeah, look, uh, I don't want to be too skeptical. And uh, in particular, Andreas, I can tell you in Germany, uh, which turned out to be, uh, I think, the company in the Western Hemisphere with the lowest growth rate uh, in terms of GDP, uh, we are talking a lot of, you know, a lot of negative and critical talk around. But to be totally honest, and my heart is beating here for, for Europe uh, in a way also to catch up on AI. Uh, you know, when you talk, and now I'm quoting probably, um, um, you know, uh, people from, from, from the US, when you talk to uh, AI experts and leading investors, uh, you know, people from Cosla and other funds, they said that, that this train really has left uh, the, the station. Um, it is very, very unlikely that Europe will be able to catch up. Um, it, it doesn't start, you know, with the regulation that we talk about um, your, your question in one sec, but think about the data protection law. Uh, why are all talents or may, you know, many talents, not all talents, but many talents uh, leaving Europe? It is because of data protection and data regulation law. Uh, that means that they don't have, you know, you know if, you, if you run AI algorithm, what you need as food, as you know, is data. And if you don't have data and no access to data, your algorithms will never you know, will never fly and you will never develop something real. So um, it starts already with data um, and, and the new regulation, you know, it's it's quite interesting. Europe is probably the first and only ones they are sparing this, but, you know, what are they regulating? They should first wait that an AI ecosystem is emerging. And once, you know, this system has developed, 
and is maybe, you know, is crying for regulation, then put the regulation in, in, in power. Um, we took the other step around, started with regulation before an ecosystem has even, you know, in a nascent status has emerged. So I believe it's a, it's a fundamentally wrong thinking about how to approach it. You must first, you know, make sure that, you know, the political and economic framework is out there for companies, young companies, established companies to, to build this ecosystem together, by the way, with universities and large corporates. And then we can think about regulation. So one step after the other. If you talk, frankly, behind the scenes to some leading people in the US, they are laughing about the regulation. Yeah, I think it's very clear. I think we hear the same thing in Europe from many in the venture space and, and startup space. It's not a good situation for us to be in when, it, when we're looking at this mega trend. Take a star. Okay, so now let's get into the Moonfair conversation. But before doing so, let's go to our take a stand where I'll ask you to comment on the following quote by Colin Hanna from Balderton. You know, we're, we're at a point on social media where too much of human discourse is owned by too few people. We need to fundamentally change that. We need to sort of come back to having a public commons that is owned by the public rather than is owned by private individuals. Look, I, I, I love this quote. Um, Andreas, and I tell you why. We talked about AI, and I'm, I'm, you know, transferring or putting this quote into the AI uh, space and AI world. And 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 you know what what she's saying um, um, about uh, social media is even more so true for um, artificial intelligence. Look, artificial intelligence has a tremendous potential, and we know this to make the world a better place. Uh, you know, but um, when you think about what what it does, um, and we talked and uh, touched a little bit about it, uh, on it, um, it, 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 it is dependent on data. And many of those data uh, come from private individuals, like you and me, from consumers. And uh, in my view, those data belong to those people who are providing them. Uh, There's no free lunch. Um, but in reality, it's very different because we all give our data away uh, in return for services that we are using, you know, in, in the internet um, and, and, and other places. So uh, in reality, those data are in the hands of very, very few companies. And this is for me a concern, and this is a major topic. Uh, and this has to be, by the way, <clears throat> figured out, whether through regulation or other means, uh, because what it causes is an imbalance between a few very dominant players and us as data providing individuals and users. It's really, it's David against Goyath. And <clears throat> what will happen uh, as this is so important, uh, you know, for, for, for mankind, for countries, for governments, there will be regulation. And as I said earlier, I believe this will be a highly, highly regulated um, in, uh, industry at some stage where certain mega players are working collaboratively with the governments in their countries to make best use of AI. But what I would really embrace, and, and this, of course, comes out of my thinking of democratization, which is the mission of, of Moonfair, and we might talk about it. I think, really, the concept should be nothing about us without us. Um, and this means, really, that the, the AI companies would have to share their knowledge, their insights uh, fully with, with users and, and, and data providers. And I would take this 
entire you know thinking one step further i would say that as you know the 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 ai companies are living from us individually uh, with our data um there should be a democratization of the ownership of ai companies um there should be an independent marketplace where you can trade ownership stakes using blockchain technology everybody who is providing something should get a stake in return and should also benefit from the unprecedented it will be unprecedented value creation that's going to happen in this marketplace Uh, it's funny. Uh, I have on our Substack, right? I have the the, the little thing that I can uh, that I can toggle on or off whether I want to allow AI providers to dig into our data. And I was like, well, I'm a very very big user, so I kind of want to want want to add to the uh, to the mother brain, right? But on the other hand, you're always like, also like, hmm, what are the long term ramifications of this? And is there any way that I could monetize this? Um, it's very interesting. It's a very interesting time we're in. Um, you mentioned blockchain there as as a potential solution to it. Could you tell me a little more about that? Just because that, that was also that's also my thinking that we need to you know if we need to tie the source of data uh, to 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 the final use cases of that data, it probably has to be done with something <laughs> very similar to blockchain. Yeah, look, it is it, what we are talking here, um, and we are taking this very important example of AI, is a more, in my view, fundamental uh, injustice. I call it, um, Andreas. We, as an industry, venture capital, private equity, we are all benefiting from um, a trend, um, an unprecedented valuation uh, that's happening in private markets. Uh, think about holding periods of, you know, tech companies um, have gone from an average five years to close to 10 years. So much more of the value creation is eaten up, so to say, in the private world before other people that are playing stock markets um, can access um, you know, and participate in the value creation. Um, the amount of um, uh, money flowing into uh, the um, uh, private world, um, we're talking about trillions of dry powder, three trillion, the private equity industry, as an example, is sitting on uh, currently, is enormous. Uh, private equity, including venture, stands for 25% of the global M&A volume. And now, what is what? Where is what? What do you find not not justified here? 98% of all people are not participating in this world. It's the pretty rich people. It's the wealthy family offices, uh, the institutions. They all can play it because they can invest into private equity, into venture with the high minimums. Institutional players, but then ordinary people are totally left out. They can play stocks, but private equity venture is often closed for them. And if you think about whether it's AI now, whether it's you know um, uh, art, think about masterworks in the US, whether it's real estate, uh, whether it's you know old wine collections, they all have gained substantially in value, 20% and plus, and people couldn't play it. And blockchain is for me the breakthrough technology that will allow us people to... Uh, securitize assets, to tokenize assets, and to make them available, not only available at lower minimums, but also tradable by creating liquidity. And this is going to happen in all areas, not only in, in, in my example here, hopefully with the AI companies. Are you doing that with uh, with Moonfair already? Because I've, obviously to our audience that might not be thinking about 
retailization or democratization or whatever we call it of our asset class. That is one of the solutions that's being pioneered by some firms, uh, that if you securitize an investment, then you're no longer, um, you're not working with assets that you're not allowed to to trade as a, as a retail investor. And for that reason, you can then circumpass the uh, 100K minimum uh, requirements. But, but that's so from an EUVC perspective, we've all, always said that is playing a bit too close to the right line. So we don't want to do that. Um, but but it is, uh, it, it, or at least so you can do it, definitely. But it, you you need to have a different skill set than, than, than the skill set that David and I as creators are sitting with. We think about and work on, on blockchain and really talk to uh, many global experts and companies out there. Uh, with our own working task groups, strategic, etc. So we are ready to move, uh, ready to jump once the, the blockchain stuff really makes sense for our industry. Uh, but Andreas, the truth is currently, uh, if you, you know, um, private equity venture capital is probably one of the last asset classes that will really benefit from tokenization. Um, you know, it, it is much more relevant currently if you think about what Masterworks does in art, you take a piece of art, you tokenize it, and you can trade it or even, you know, real estate, yeah, where you have, um, you know, one asset, uh, pretty simple, by the way, in, in terms of structuring and capital flows, and you tokenize it. You know, it will take time. And as long as the regulatory framework, and you, um, you know, um, alluded to it, is not yet in place, uh, it doesn't make sense to tokenize, uh, you know, a fund, um, because, you know, one of the issues that has not been solved uh, is that you would have to pay in the total capital um, into the fund at once. Yeah, there is no solution yet for capital call management um, over the blockchain, um, and uh, the regulation has not uh, uh, catched up in terms of opening up tokens uh, over and above professional and semi-professional investors. So there is a lot to come. But my deepest conviction is in three to five years' time. Maybe it's a little bit longer, but my, we we are planning for three to five years. Uh, blockchain will play a role in our asset class. There are companies out there, as you know, in Singapore, ADDX, they've done some stuff with KKR and Partners Group and others. Uh, there's a company out in Switzerland, Securitize, they are experimenting and doing great stuff. So the technology is there, the thinking is there, the regulation has to follow. You said in the beginning of this that you wanted to invest in KKR, you had 100K lined up, you were ready to go, and then you met the <laughs> the proverbial big hand that said, no, 10 million minimum. Um, that's, of course, what we set out to uh, to solve as well. But there is this floor of 100K, which is difficult to manage. I'd love to ask you, how do you, have you, have you gone below 100K yet in, in, in Moonfair? What are your reflections around that? And, and, and t tell everyone in the audience a bit more about also uh, let's start there about the, the minimum because that's that's the first core problem that you solve that you don't have to put 10 million in you can actually chop that into bytes and have a syndicate or however you structure it um and how far do you then go down what's the protection of the investors all that stuff from the lp perspective yeah, look, this this famous minimums, uh, they are really a result of uh, not our intention, you know, and, and, and they stand in, in the contrary, a little bit in the way uh, with our mission to democratize private markets. It's the regulators. Yeah, for, for good reasons, by the way, you came up 
um, with these these minimums. There are two regimes um, uh, that are really really important. Um, you know, um, in, in 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 Europe, the most important one is professional investor, and then um, the the so-called semi-professional investor in the U.S. It's called qualified investor. It's all more or less the same, but all of these regimes come. Um, together with certain minimums, uh, which is really meant to be investor LP protection. Um, yeah, that that not you know the grandma around the corner is suddenly investing into stuff that she or he doesn't um, understand. So there were good reasons. And look, we we started uh, really in, in the very beginning with two hundred thousand. Very soon, we figured out uh, in a legally compliant way to bring this down to fifty. In the UK, we are down to seventy five. So there are differences between the countries. In, in Switzerland, Switzerland is 125 Swiss francs. So that was really you know, our starting point. And um, people now can uh, can go to the Moonfair platform, they sign up, and then they get a suite of pre-selected funds yeah, in venture and growth, but in particular in buyout infrastructure. We are looking at 400 funds in a given year. And our team of industry insiders from the private industry, private equity industry, selects um, some 20 that make it to the platform. Super rigorous uh, investment selection process. And then you can invest. But 100K, as you rightly say, Andreas, is still a ton of money, in particular if you want to build a diversified portfolio. This is why we have A, portfolio products, one-stop shopping products, I call it, one-stop shopping solutions, which are baskets of funds where you can invest into certain strategies, growth, buyout, venture, infrastructure, whatever. And then, of course, we have uh, also a path to liquidity. Um, you can liquidate your fund positions um, through our secondary. Before we go to the secondary market, um, do, you, do you have call structure in place so that, that you call the capital or is it 100K up front or the minimum oh, no. up front? Uh, totally right. For, for the product so far, and now the, the big innovation, and this is very timely, by the way, our interview, because we announced it on Tuesday. I, I want to talk about so far it was 100K and then to, uh, think about capital calls over four years on average, 25K a year, but still a lot of money. What we announced, Andreas, on, um, and this was for me really a day where my, my mind and heart was, 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 was out, of, uh, out of the normal uh, you know, space because we announced our LTIF, uh, our own LTIF, which is a new regime, a new regulatory regime. Uh, at the end, uh, without going into the details, it now allows people, normal people, I call them, uh, eligible private investors to invest into um, a Moonfair private equity product, which is comprised of, you know, some of the most well-known private equity funds in the world, um, uh, starting at 10,000 euros. So now we are really taking one step further with the democratization of private equity. Now our, we call it our dreams become true. Because 100K is great, it's a step into the right direction, but it's still for very wealthy people. 10K becomes relevant to many, many more people. This is something I'm really so, yeah, I've been waiting for this moment for years. And it is annoying, frustrating that you've had to wait for up for regulators, right? Because, yes, but let's not get into that. Um, before going to secondaries market, you said you're looking at 400 uh, uh, investment opportunities per year. You're picking 20. Um, could you share a bit more about what's the, because of course this, this is a podcast where we primarily have VCs listening in, uh, and obviously being on the Moonfair platform is, is, uh, is an interesting avenue for most. Yeah, look, we started and at the end in, in our thinking, you know, the investor, the LP comes first. 
So um, we thought about how can we, you know, become people who are not close to the asset class. How can we get them closer? And we started, Andreas, deliberately uh, with the big brand, big brand names. Yeah. So you find the KKRs and the Premieras and the EQTs and all these great, incredible names um, on the platform who typically have, you know, 20, 30, partially 40 years track record, um, have, you know, never lost money with any vintage fund, uh, have managed to um, navigate through the financial crisis, huge teams, huge global platforms. Um, why did we do so? Because we believe from a risk return perspective, um, they are close to, you know, unbeatable products. However, um, for, for the VC community, we all know this, and there's tons of academic literature out there that in particular emerging managers are often outperforming established managers for many, many reasons, which are, you know, um, obvious um, incentivation, etc. Um, and this is why we have launched at Moonfair an emerging manager program um, where we uh, really support, so to say, the distribution of, of these uh, upcoming champions. Uh, but we don't offer these products to each and everybody. This is we are we are taking a pre-selection of our investor base and say uh, who is so to say sophisticated and professional um, can can access this program. Uh, the ordinary um, call it um, investor on the Moonfair platform is more guided towards the less risky investments that I just stated. Guided towards or uh, blocked from. <laughs> <laughs> the letter, the letter, the letter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you have fund of funds on the platform? No, we, we have our own fund of fund basket products. Those are Moonfair products where we select, you know, in a, in a given year, uh, the top managers of a certain strategy, buyout, growth, uh, US tech, um, infra. Uh, this is what we have, but we don't have other external fund of fund players. Um, and, and, uh, you know, Frankly, we, we believe our concept is that people predominantly can pick and choose their own portfolio. Yeah, they can, uh, they, they can pick what they want. And the fund of fund over four years investment period, we, we don't really like. We like, you know, no blind pool risk. We, we want people to understand what they invest into. This is why our basket products are totally transparent. You know which funds are in there. They are, so to say, vintage products. Yeah, which, we, are, we are launching them each year. Yeah, which, yeah. And that makes but it much much for easier. For a fund of for a fund of fund would not that would be a kill button, right? <laughs> that that's part of what they they trade in proprietary manner. Makes a ton of sense. Now let's go to the secondaries market that you uh, were about to. And I'll almost just let you queue it up from there. <laughs> yeah, look, uh, what we identified as one obstacle very early on for for private individuals when it comes to investing into private equity is liquidity. And this is for obvious reasons. We are all human beings. You know, no one knows what's happening in terms of health, in terms of job, uh, in terms of uh, being in the divorce. So people have a natural desire for liquidity. Having said this, Andreas, and that is important, uh, private equity, as you know, and I, I, I must repeat, this is not a liquid product. Uh, what we do is we provide a path to liquidity um, you have good chances to, you know, get out of your position uh, because it's in the meantime a large marketplace, but there is no guarantee. Having said that, we have Lexington Partners, which is one of the largest secondary institutional secondary players in the world with us um, and as a backstop on that marketplace. But again, they are not obliged. They, you, we cannot force them to buy. Um, if you ask me, is the volume high? 
last quarter or so, uh, you know, we have in the tens of millions um, um, offerings for, for secondaries uh, on the platform. So there is a lot of volume, there is a lot of efficiency, but no guarantee. Uh, we run this process twice a year, so it's not daily. You cannot, you know, go and, and, and sell. Uh, it's twice a year. We might increase it to four times a year. In the beginning, the, the market was really, you know, two years ago, it was dead. No one was selling. Now the world is a little bit different. So there is a need for liquidity. But that's another innovation, um, Andreas. This is really Moonfair. And, and, and it's something that we are proud of, as my team is proud of, is, is really an innovation out of Europe into the, the world. Yeah, we were the first ones uh, doing this. We are now the largest ones by far globally. Um, and we have more than 150 other companies copying us. And the secondary market is another innovation. No one else has, has, has uh, you know, developed a similar solution. Globally. You talked a bit about then the size of the uh, transaction volume in total uh, in the secondary marketplace. Oftentimes, it's very, very difficult to trade a small secondary stick. Um, do you, can you kind of talk a bit about the bucketing there? Because you have some investors that will would then put up a larger uh, uh, secondary opportunity. Those might be trading a bit better, I imagine, than those putting up a 50K in Fund X. No, it's, it's interestingly not because it's predominantly trading private. Between the private investors. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And the bite size for them is on average 200K. This is what they feel on average. Some do a million, some even more, uh, some less. But but because it's a matching between private individuals, it's easier, so to say, to match the 50 or 100K check uh, with, uh, as opposed to a 10 million check. Now I want to ask you a question, which I'm not asking you to <laughs> talk talk about how amazing Moonfair is and how bad the other platforms is. But I think that there are interesting differences between the different providers. Um Meaning you have Moonfair, as we've described, but then we have in the U.S. Allocate by Samir Khaji and team. I, I'd love to hear if, you, if you'd say, okay, because myself as an example, I say, well, what we offer is completely different from Moonfair. We cater to the community within tech and venture in Europe. It's those people that they invest with us, maybe because they want access to the same asset as you have, but they invest with us because they also want access to the partners. And they only get access to the partners because they have a value add. So we're bringing together a syndicate of people that want to do co-invests, that want to share the deal flow, that want to be stewards of the funds that they invest in, so on and so forth. So it's a completely different uh, offering that we have to in the investors, and it's a different profile of investor, right? Um, but with with you, you have a different play that's more democratizing access, and it's less about bringing people from within the community together with other people within the community. It's, it's, it's more transactional, so to say. It's a financial investment. Um, and then I'd love to ask you, if you then look at someone like Allocate, and I, I'm asking you to put some light on this, of course, because we have an audience that, that are quite well-versed in what are the different players, and, but more, maybe a bit less well-versed in, in, in thinking about the nuances between them. You're, you're totally right and spot on all. You know, the various players out there, uh, you know, uh, have different value propositions. First of all, let me say, um, and this is very, very important. The industry expects, the private equity venture industry expects that 50% of the, 
of the new assets that they are collecting, five, zero, half, will come from private individuals. So the market out there is enormous. Currently, the institutional market, take Europe alone, is 1.5 trillion, 1,500 US dollars. The same amount, this is Oliver Wyman and other studies um, forecasting, um, will flow over the next, whether it's five or 10 years or whatever the time horizon is, will flow from private individuals into the market. What does it mean? You know, there is a shortage of supply and players like you, us, Allocate uh, and uh, others uh, doing what we are doing um, to open up the access in a very responsible and pre-selected and curated way. So what I want to say with, um, uh, you know, with that little story is we embrace every, you know, adjacent or competitor or additional player in the market because our problem is not the market size and we don't have to fight against each other, you know, like uh, if you would sell apples or potatoes, um, and the market is so huge that the bottleneck currently is the education and um, a nice offering and the smooth process and liquidity mechanisms. So we embrace every player globally, all the 150 copycats. So to your question, what makes them differentiated? Look, some of them um, go more into niche strategies. Some of them go more into uh, mid-cap um, stuff. Some, you know, as you do, um, go more into venture. But, but in all these categories, look, we probably are the most dominant or are the most dominant one in, in traditional buyout and private equity, KKR, et cetera, where I'm coming from. Uh, what is really important in my view is uh, if you play with these players that you can rely on their curation, uh, what you, you know, um, provide as a value position uh, uh, due to your community, uh, that's very important. And that you have, you know, players that are not out there for the short term, uh, yeah, and, and try to make it, uh, smart money very fast and then sell and uh, what happens after me, I don't care. Uh, this is a new game for from for many many people as a new asset class, and the worst can happen that people have uh, negative experiences. Um, one thing for clarification, very different for Andreas um, to what you guys are doing, but Moonfair is also a community. Yeah, what we do is we bring our uh, in the meantime, you know, fifty sixty thousand people on the platform. We bring them together uh, on a global scale. We are running fifty events, 5-0, every week one, in all major cities, in London, in New York, in Singapore, in Paris, in, in, in Frankfurt, wherever, and, and, and run, you know, large dinners, cocktails, um, in, in partnerships with galleries. Um, this one, next week, we have a huge event in St. Moritz, in Switzerland. Um, last week, we had Frankfurt, Brussels. So we are playing this community very, very, very actively so that people only, also physically can come together. Um, not only, by the way, with the purpose to uh, talk about investments, uh, it might be very, very different um, discussion points, um, but Moonfair is much more than a transaction platform in the internet. Do, you, do your GPs join into those as well, or is it, uh, yeah. yeah, so it's just as much a place for the yeah. target? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a place for yeah. the GPs. Uh, also, you know, they, they, they typically, in, in, in I would say 80% of all events, we have one with a large press conference, uh, this week, when we announced our LTF retail strategy, we did this together with EQT. Uh, they uh, had a fireside chat with one of their senior partners. So we are working very closely and also getting you know access to quite exclusive information. Um, Andreas, as you might have seen, I'm running this formal deal talk where I have Henry Kravis and from KKR, the founder, and David Rubinstein very recently from 
from Carlisle as my guests. So we are living a very active uh, information sharing community, I would call yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, and that's, of course, a big reason why anyone would invest in these assets. Okay, now let's get into our shout out before we go further into your three biggest learnings from your journey building warfare. But I'd like to just send some love out into the ecosystem. Share with us who you love and why. You mind who I love in the ecosystem or in my private world? Well, I think it's better we keep it to the uh, ecosystem for today. Okay, in the private world, it would be family first and foremost. Look, in, in the ecosystem, it is a very, very active environment we are in, uh, Andreas. And why is this democratization theme that you, in a way, stand for, we stand for, why did it become such a phenomenon? And, and um, you know, the reason why is, of course, starting with the LP, the private investor, it makes total sense, as you know, to invest into venture, into private equity, into private markets. Uh, it's accretive for your performance and it uh, reduces your risk. Uh, yeah, this is empirically um, proven what I'm saying. So um, the, the end client is, 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 is clearly, you know, benefiting. But what is interesting is that the entire ecosystem, the GPs, the private equity firms, the venture firms, um, the banks at the end, the UBSs, HSBCs, um, the asset managers, the Blackhawks, uh, you know, Fidelities, Schroders, um, the entire us as platforms, the entire ecosystem is rowing into the same direction to foster and support this democratization of private equity, including technology players. We talked about blockchain, etc. So when you ask me whom do you laugh, I really laugh that the the entire ecosystem, financial ecosystem, is running into the same direction. And this is why, you know, people at KKR a couple of years ago already said this democratization theme of private equity is probably one of the largest disruptions in financial history. And this is what I believe is happening because all these forces, all these, you know, stakeholders are, are, are rowing into the same direction. So in, in easy words, Trump would say, I, I love them all. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll let you get away with that one for, <laughs> for today then. Now, Stefan, let me ask you about your three biggest learnings from building Moonfair. I spent the, la the first two days of this week uh, together with Sebastian von Ribbentrop from, Moon uh, sorry, from uh, Joint Capital. And I almost wish that we had done a podcast there because I, I, I realized that I would wish that I had asked him about his three biggest learnings. And he, of course, told me to give, give, give you his regards because he is a big friend of yours. So now I'll ask you instead of Sebastian, what your three biggest learnings from building Moonfair? Yeah, and Andreas, that, you know, it is, it is funny. If I tell the story of, uh, around Moonfair, people ask me about it and they say, wow, what a success and so on. You know, it is, um, we had an incredibly bumpy road. Uh, when I started the company in 2016, 15, I left KKR. You know, I talked to friends about it and, and my friends told me, Stefan, this is, uh, you know, you're, 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 you're crazy. You're nuts. You're, you want to build a digital platform where people invest up to 200,000 euros into private equity products they might not have never heard about. This is like buying a flat over the internet into an asset class people are not familiar with. Go back to KKR, please. We have four children. <laughs> they begged me. 
Yeah, my friend, uh, Honey von Lichtenstein said, Stefan, please, I have to take care for you. Um, you're not yet financially done. This is too much of a risk. Who has done it ever before you? Why is no one else out there? He said, why is no one else out there? I said, look, we are innovating. Yeah, but do you think you are smarter and better in, in innovation than anyone else out there? So there was a lot of skepticism. Bank, uh, bankers, friends from banking, could have told me the regulatory framework. You have no clue what you're doing. Um, this, is, this is not going to work. So, uh, but I believed in it. And there were many, you know, my, my, my first, uh, you know, partner and employee, uh, he left after a year and said, I give up. This, this is, doesn't make sense. This will never work. We did, you know, market surveys, et cetera. They said no one will buy private equity through this platform. So my big, 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 big learning is, and I can really, I teach this to my children and to everyone else out there. If you believe in something, And you are really convinced there is something, even if there's headwind, even if people tell you don't do it, believe it and do it. Stick with it and run with it. Um, unless you know you are, you really don't believe in it. Yeah. If, if I would have followed these people, Moonfair would not exist. Yeah, that's my first learning. The second one, Andreas, when I founded Moonfair, you know, I had a long career in private equity behind me. I was 46 or so. I really wanted to incubate it. Yeah, very similar to what the Zamba brothers did with their rocket internet stuff. I wanted to find someone, you know, smart, younger than me, um, who would run the company on my behalf. And I would be a super active chairman. I would finance, um, you know, um, uh, the, the, the starting phase and I would bring in my knowledge and, and contacts. And I tried to do so um, and, and had a couple of people, you know, uh, whom I, um, you know, who came in um, to run the company. But What I figured out is you cannot hire an entrepreneur. Uh, you know, you can hire a manager, uh, and that's probably better at a stage like where we are now, uh, not in the beginning, but hiring an entrepreneur is, is impossible. Uh, and my conclusion, personal conclusion was, you know, an entrepreneur who is really an entrepreneur will not work for me. He or she will do something on her own or his own. And then, you know, a manager might, might, might work for me, but not someone who is basically realizing my, my idea and my, my, my baby. So you cannot hire an entrepreneur. And this is why I stepped back into the, the firm uh, and, and, and has been running Moonfair since, since then. Look, and then uh, at the end, uh, it, it's not about uh, you know, uh, me. It's not about uh, the idea. Uh, what it is all about is, is team and culture. And when I was you know, in my late 30s and Henry Kravis from KKR He always spoke about culture is so important. I, I really, Andreas, I, I never got it. I thought it's a buzzword or something, you know, for, for HBS management courses. I've understood by now that culture is everything. Culture is the set of values, the set of beliefs we all agree on. Uh, culture is the glue in terms of how we behave with each other, how we, um, uh, you know, interact, how we communicate, um, what we are... Uh, how we collaborate, uh, collaborate together. Uh, culture is, uh, um, uh, you know, all human respect uh, in, in, in one word. And this is what, what makes it uh, or breaks it. Uh, when you ask our people at Moonfair, they don't, they will not tell you I'm, I'm working here for the pay, I'm working for the stock options. They will tell you I'm working for our mission, but first and foremost also for the culture and the team. Because it is, you know, a culture of no assholes, a culture of integrity and respect. 
this is what makes great companies. And, and, and I can only tell everybody, whether you are running a fund, a venture fund or a, a large company, one thing you must get right is the culture and the team will follow. I have one question, and it's probably to the culture point. That's at least where I thought about it. I've oftentimes found myself in conversations with very senior GPs thinking about hiring IR people. And they tend to say this is incredibly difficult because they don't understand venture or it's very hard to find someone who understands venture who can be in a very uh, volatile world where LPs are so different and so on and so forth. I can't help but think that someone like you who have built a platform that is meant to take out the IR person almost, at least from a fundraising perspective, must have some thoughts, even though it's not IR uh, specifically that, that, that you're doing there. But I, I can't help but think that you must have some thoughts around how to correctly present an investment opportunity to a, a potential LP in a platform slash marketing way where, you know, where it's actually doable by people that haven't spent 10 years in venture. First of all, Andreas, I think you need both parts, so to say. You need the specialist or the person in IR and, and us to make it work. What we do is basically we take the documentation, yeah, the private placement memorandum, the investment memorandum. We take our due diligence material, of course, we take the LPAs and the legal stuff um, and legal documentation and put it on the platform and then open it uh, you know, um, up in a very digestible, easy to read uh, format. Yeah, you can find everything at one place and so on. What we then do is you know, tons of uh, material in terms of education. What is venture, following your example, what would be a secondary? How does venture work? Uh, what are historical returns and so on? Uh, and then we would typically have the manager, the GP, uh, who is on the platform, also be, whether it's in a webinar or in Q&A session, and explaining what she or he is doing. Um, having said that, many, many uh, you know, of, of the interactions with my team are at the end happening between us and the IR person. <clears throat> so when it comes to specific questions, when it comes to specific uh, documentation, when it comes to uh, questions in due diligence. So without an uh, IR person, um, you know, we, we could not run our model. We need, it's, it's complementary for me. You put all this data on the platform. I cannot imagine, help but imagine that you have a ton of interesting insights on LP behavior on the platform. Is there some that you can share? Yeah, no, we do. We do, and we share this, by the way, publicly. If you go to the Moonfair page and really it's not everything, you know, is, is so important, but this is worth a read because it's proprietary data about the investor behavior. Um, and you read it, um, you can see uh, what people uh, favor and what they don't favor. And Andreas is very interesting. What happened is, you know, people started with buyout. Then we had an incredible, incredible demand in 2020, 21, 22 <laughs> for, for growth and for venture. Uh, you know, growth and venture made 45% of all our assets under management that we raised in, in these days. And then after, call it the, the, the shock from the interest rates um, and, and increases, um, people 
uh, really went back into protection mode and are now very much looking for infrastructure, uh, still buyout and, and credit. Uh, credit because as an alternative uh, source of financing for, for the private equity industry, very, very much on vogue right now. And, and people are, 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 are investing there for good reasons. Having said that, uh, very recently, uh, starting Q3, Q4 already, we see, and also when we ask our investors, we see an increasing interest coming back in, in tech and venture. Uh, and that was interesting because after the grand financial crisis, it took years before this interest uh, was, was about to come back. Now it, it came back much, much quicker. We are seeing this, by the way, in the stock markets as well. And as you know, private markets are lacking behind when it comes to valuations, etc. stock markets by some 12 to 18 months. So uh, there are all signs, uh, stock markets plus you know, behavior on our platform, that venture and growth is coming back to play. We could go on and on, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I would love to, but we better get into the quick fire. <laughs> and now, the quick fire. This is the section where we ask you three quick answer questions. Are you ready for it, Steph? Of course. What advice would you give to your own 10-year younger self? Look, I made so many mistakes. And um, when, when I think about these questions, I could probably talk for, 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 for hours. Uh, look, one very important thing is um, don't live your dreams. And I said it earlier, if you believe uh, you know, in something, stick to it, make it happen. So take out of your vocabulary, I wish I had. Uh, that's, that's not a good one. Yeah. I wish I had should not be, I wish I had should be stand for I have done and not I wish I had done. That's one. Uh, second one is, you know, we are all human beings and we tend to be extremely dependent on external recognition. Wow. Good job. Wow. That is, was a nice chat. Wow. Um, Moonfair is, is one of the greatest companies ever. Wow. Uh, you are so smart. Wow. You went to Harvard. Um, Forget about this. Uh, if you, you know, if you stay there, and if you, if you, if you are just dependent on recognition, you will never go out of your comfort zone, because you will stay where you are, where you get all this recognition. Make yourself independent from the acknowledgement of others. Very, very important. Uh, and uh, associate to it. Once you have done so, uh, leave the mainstream. Uh, mainstream. We are all, you know, we are all behaving in in cohorts. Yeah. Uh, we are all doing more or less, uh, what is the neighbor doing? What is this guy doing? This person doing? Forget about it. You will never find your own edge. You will never be innovative. You will never come up with a great idea. You will never be a person that is you know, different and really interesting if you stay in the mainstream. And then last but not least, um, I keep on telling this my, my children all the time. Uh, you know, I had a ton, maybe you know, different generation. Um, too much, I would say, respect for for adults and elder people, and I was not speaking up enough uh, because I thought there might be much, you know, more experience. I have no 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 right to to play, no right to say something. You know, when when I grew up, you know, we had to be silent when when someone else more senior was talking. Um, you know, if you have to say something, say it, and don't be shy to speak up. Now, what are your top tips for VCs across Europe who are fundraising? Look, the honest answer is you have to ask yourself, in my view, and I asked this question when I founded 7GC, 7 Global Capital, our US fund. 
what is your reason for being? Is there really a need for another venture or another growth fund in, in Europe? Uh, what is really your investment thesis? Why are you different from the established players uh, who might have, you know, a an, an more pronounced brand name, um, larger resources, uh, etc.? Um, so what is really your investment thesis? Um, it, it must be something else. If people ask me, shall I go into venture? I always tell them, yeah, if you have something new uh, to invest in or a new thesis, you should. But but just jumping into venture for the sake of it is is is, is probably not smart. You have to be the best positioned to win in 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 uh, in, in this field. The other one is, you know, it is extremely difficult to raise a first-time fund, even a second-time fund. People know this. You know this, Andreas. You need people who trust you, and ideally, you bring an anchor with you. I would focus my fundraising in the beginning around an anchor investor who puts down some real money, and then others uh, will follow. And and then, very, very important, the entire industry is it's, it's still making the same mistake. Uh, we didn't make the same mistake at Seven Global, but I made this mistake in the past. Don't be cyclical. Um, it was insane in terms of valuations what we all saw in 2021. We saw in SaaS 40 times revenue forward-looking multiples um, that have been paid. Long-term average, as we all know, is 10 times, but people were still paying the money. Why? Because it was the cycle. Um, we didn't make this uh, mistake at, at, at 7GC. We paid on average seven times forward-looking revenue. Uh, so we were disciplined. And I, uh, why? Because we have learned out of our history, you know, um, um, uh, dot-com crisis and uh, exaggerations in the 90s, that this is not um, healthy. So please don't run with everybody and be courageous enough to say no to a deal if you think pricing is insane. And now, finally, what is the most counterintuitive thing you've learned in venture? Look, everyone is afraid of making mistakes and everyone in particular is afraid of uh, losing money. And I am so. I'm, I'm you know, super conservative. I really don't want to lose money. I don't want to make mistakes because I've learned that making mistakes is something, you know, that, that has to be avoided at all costs. This is bullshit. If you are an investor, you have to lose money. You will not make money before you lose money or you will make money, but then you will lose money. Losing money and making money, um, you know, comes in in, in hands, and and uh, this is what fosters, uh, you know, your your thinking. Um, uh, 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 this is you know, um, you know, failure to to understand failure as a as a learning experience. And as I said earlier, failure. I made the mistake and invested, you know, in in hype phases um, um, uh, before 9/11, etc., and lost a ton of money. I've learned. Uh, that you know you have to be anti-cyclical that you don't run with the hearts um, learn uh, from your failures and this is what you have to do all successful entrepreneurs i know all successful in investors i know they embrace failure as a necessary part of the innovation process of any disruption process at moonshare we do and we do make failures every day any innovation process comes along with failures. And if you're afraid of making failures in venture investing, you probably should change your job. Stefan, before we wrap up today, I will close with 
the way we always close. And that is asking you to share with us a controversial opinion or uncommon belief that you hold that most people around you don't believe in. Look, every every generation and in every development of mankind, uh, there are different beliefs that that are inherited uh, from from the past, from from your parents, from other people. And one belief that I don't share anymore is that going to university is is necessary. Uh, I even believe that going to young university is in many cases destroying value. Uh, and why is it? Because we are living in a in a in a totally different world, um, uh, and we talked a little bit of AI and what is yet to come. I believe that going to university is driven by fear. You don't want to do something wrong. I get my degree, you know, like an in, in, in like in the, in the old days, going to a bank for two years, and then you can always go to a bank. You're in safe hands. This is this is again, in my view, bullshit. I doubt really whether the costs are worth it. I doubt um, and uh, would say what you learn at university is nothing more than conventional wisdom. Uh, that what is out there anyway. Uh, and this wisdom, due to AI and the accessibility of, of data and information, and not only data, is becoming a commodity anyway. So what is needed um, is innovation. Ideas rule the world. Uh, it's not you know that you that you digest what has been out there and yet you become the greatest learner. This is available. ChatGPT will be smarter than you in writing your thesis. Um, what you what is needed is people that are thinking out of the box, that are you know uh, questioning um, conventional wisdom, that are questioning um, you know common beliefs from from the previous generation, that are that uh, that are independent from being recognized and acknowledged by others, and 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 only do what they want you to do. And I believe there are so many other sources where you can learn this. You know, whether it's self-directed learning, whether it's apprenticeships, whether it's entrepreneurship. Think about some of the greatest entrepreneurs. They they stopped you know, university, never went to university. You can, you know, um, do vocational training. Yeah, um, You can, whatever, you can talk um, and, and find uh, mentors. You can, uh, you know, start working right away. Um, the, the most important thing is for this generation is innovation, creativity, and connection between the dots. And I doubt that this is what you necessarily learn at university. I don't think I could agree more, but I'm an, and I'm an old student president of my university, so that, <laughs> that is not a good situation. Stefan, thank you so much for joining us today. To everyone listening in, I really hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Do not forget to drop us a review, follow the pod, and subscribe at eu.vc. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Zero 100 Conferences which organizes networking events connecting LPs and GPs in private equity and venture capital firms across Europe. Their upcoming event is 0100 Conference Europe from April the 16th to the 18th at Leonardo Royal Hotel Amsterdam. This is a pan-European opportunity to network with major LPs and GPs from firms like Bain Capital, Permira, EQT, 500 Global, Alvin, ESAS Holding, the Carlyle Group, Adam Street Partners, Aegon Asset Management and Odo BHF. Save the dates. April the 16th to the 18th at Leonardo Royal Hotel Amsterdam. Tear down this wall. It's more than just an alliance. This, this is a union of values, values. United and determined, we can serve as a model for other regions of the world. 
The nature of a problem, problem requires a European response. Europe is a story of new beginnings, new, new beginnings. Let's start acting, acting, acting.